1 Corinthians chapter 9 and a few verses here. I have to put this into context a little bit because I need to get to the connector. For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. This is how he did it. Unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without the law as without the law, but being not without the law to God, but in the law of Christ. He didn't lose himself. Everybody in verse 21, Paul didn't lose himself. He did not become a sinner to win the sinner. Mm -hmm. That I might gain them that are without the law. To the weak, talk about a mission, became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. Just pause right there and just note this. That it's very difficult for people to relate to someone else. But in the relation comes the salvation of the soul of someone. Paul is an expert. And he said it. I have made all things to all men that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake. That I might be partaker thereof with you. Here's the connector. Verse 24, because all that he has just said in five complete verses are now connected to verse 24. When he asked the question with an answer, know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receives the prize? So run that ye might obtain. Everybody say that, so run. Mm-hmm. We got a house full of new believers and new members. And some of you, however, been serving God for a long time, no matter where you're at in your walk with God, here, Pastor, today, you're on a mission to do something. It's greater than you think it is. I feel like the Holy Ghost needs to speak to all of us today. So with your hearts and your hands, let's just lift this up to God and say, Lord, I'm open and available for whatever you have for me in my life. In the name of Jesus, I pray right now. I pray for your Holy Ghost, for your spirit, for your will, for, for your voice to be heard in this house. In Jesus' name. Come on, let's just rejoice in the Lord one more time before we're seated. Yes, 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 yes. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, and you may be seated. I have a lot of pictures of Mary Schurtenlieb. But I thought not to show them just for the sake of her own story, and you can find her later, hopefully later. 
She was soaked to the bone and she said as much. Uh, Her lips looked blue, her teeth were chattery. None of it could hide, however, the smile and what they would say. The determination that she had last year when she ran the 122nd Boston Marathon. (laughs) Mary Schertenlieb. She came in last place. I like that. But she ran. Now, seeing that I'm struggling to pronounce her last name, and I don't even know if I have it right, I could pronounce it multiple different ways. I'll just call her Mary. She said that her tennis shoes were soaked long before noon and that it didn't take her long to feel the effects of the run. Because over a five-year period prior to the race, the Boston race, Mary had battled three rounds of cancer, chemotherapy, and a bone marrow transplant. She's 43 today. She was 42 at the time. Two children, a husband, who took the video of her journey the entire time. Her doctors gave her the okay to run the 26.2-mile marathon. But they told her, you should pause every once in a while to refresh yourself and don't think that you have to finish. But she had a lot of causes for which she ran. Mary raised $35,000 for a friend whose name is Dana Farber, who was also going through treatment. So the challenge to finish the race was both to give courage to others who were battling and also to raise money for her friend. Later on, celebrities got involved and a couple hundred thousand were raised. Mary had to stop often. She went to the medical tent a couple of times. It started to rain. She paused long enough to get out of the rain. At one point, she went into a tent set up by Dunkin' Donuts. I don't know. It was just me, but I'm not sure that the Bavarian cream would help anybody. (laughs) And the beautiful cinnamon twist, it probably won't help you. But she went there to have coffee, and then she took out again. She thought to herself, and I quote, why don't you just sit down and get warmed up? But at that point, she said, I just felt like I had to still keep going. Mary finished the race at 12.18 a.m. in the morning and said, if someone told me I was going to finish the marathon last and that I would be happy about it, I would not have believed it. It was the race. And I can safely assume that it was the fact that she finished the race that brought her joy. She ran. She was running for something bigger than herself. I've read these articles and stories many times throughout the years. Men and women, young people, children even. Doing things out of sheer will and determination and also for the sake of someone else. And all of those stories are impactful. But time has taught me a little something about the race. The purpose, ladies and gentlemen, no matter how great it might be, 
never lessens the challenge. And it brings me to those men and women whose lives are etched in stone with images cast across generations and continents and language and times, no less. And none, I would submit, could rise higher than that of Moses, who was perhaps the world's greatest leader. No leader has ever led a people like Moses led. And no leader has ever led people out of bondage like Moses led. But if we pull back the curtain of his life, then we must consider the reality of his days because there are testimonies that people give and then there are realities that people live. Yeah. Moses gave up a lot of things. He gave up pleasure. He gave up royalty. In fact, the New Testament says that he chose affliction, which is no small task. And while I suppose many might boast of, as to what they have given up, none has ever stepped lower than this prince of Pharaoh into the field of obscurity like Moses did. I've, I've heard of sacrifice and self-sacrifice and people losing things when they chose to follow Christ, but we can barely wrap our minds around the disparity between a palace and a desert place. Tending sheep and goats in Midian is a long way from the polished floors of the palace. And when the day finally came that he met God at a burning bush and then was called subsequently to be a deliverer of the children of Israel, Moses had to go back and confront a new Pharaoh with his demand. Who could understand the ebb and flow of the son of Jochebed, saved from the sword of the soldier Pulled from the Nile by the princess, weaned and taught by his own mother who was paid to rear him for a certain number of years, given the title of the son of Pharaoh and Pharaoh's daughter, lived four decades in the lap of luxury. And then after all that time, learning from his father-in-law in Midian, 40 years, God chooses him to lead the children of Israel with signs and plagues unlike anything the earth has ever seen. It is a roller coaster ride of a life. Moses. He seems to be in constant motion, even when it looks like he's not gaining. It becomes evident that he's still learning life. Even when it looks like he might drown in convenience, he's racing toward the next great leap in God's design. Watch him. Read your Bible. He leads Israel out of Egypt, all of them laden down with the treasures of their oppressors, fine linen and wedges of silver and catches of gold. Moses leads them all the way to the edge of the Red Sea and then turns to hear the rebuke of his own people. They scorned him. They wanted to kill him right then and there. Most people would turn their back on other folks. But Moses stood there waiting on an answer from God. It came in the form of yet another miracle, a stick that he raised, which just proves to us that any old stick will do as long as God is in it. Moses parted the waters and that moment would forever seal his authority for all of human history. He lives with the people. When ten spies outruled the two spies, Moses stayed with them. Doubt ladies and gentlemen, can drown faith, and Moses knew it full well. He was the most humble man ever to live, so says the scripture. But the people complained and complained and murmured and bickered and so much about so many things that one time, one time, he lost his temper. He was the most humble
humble man, but they got to him. I'm sure none of you have ever experienced this. And instead of speaking to a rock, he struck the rock with that rod. And that one act alone, because it interrupted the type, nullified his entrance into the promised land. He led the people right up to the edge of Canaan and stood on Mount Nebo and looked over at what could have only been his own promise. He laid his hands on Joshua and passed his authority to the younger in front of all of the people without one ounce of bitterness in his voice. And when he died, he did not die because of illness or age. Because the Bible says his eyes were not dim. God made the decision. As God does with all of his servants. And God buried the body of Moses and none of them knew where he was. Moses ran his race. He did all that he could do while he walked on this earth. He was called to a high purpose. His purpose was ordained by the author and the finisher. His purpose was preordained by the divine decree of the creator himself. Moses faced arrogant men among his own people. He faced some of his own family members who were jealous of his authority. He looked at the armies and enemies in the face and even once interceded on behalf of those people who I quote were stiff-necked people of whom God would have wiped out. But Moses caused, think of it, Moses caused God to change his mind. God said, I'll just wipe them all out and start with you, Moses. And Moses interceded on behalf of all the people. It wasn't always pretty. Signs and wonders and plagues and angels were not always in view. They're not always in view. You're not always going to have signs and wonders and all kinds of things. Miracles are not always going to attend your life. Mount Sinai with all of its revelation. It only happened once in the life of Moses. The Red Sea, though it is unmatched in wonder and splendor, only happened once in the life of Moses. He oversaw the slaughter of those who danced around the golden calves of Asics. He, re he rebuked his own brother Aaron. And even though the names, are you hearing me now? Even though the names Janus and Jambres are not found in the Old Testament, everybody must have known who they were because Paul wrote to Timothy a couple of thousand years later, and I quote, Now Janus and Jambres withstood Moses. <laughs> Talk about troublemakers. You certainly don't want to have your name in the Bible if you are a troublemaker. You might have thought you got out of it because your name wasn't in the Old Testament, but Paul remembered it. Hmm. Moses had to fight against magicians and witch doctors and devils alike. He had to listen to foolish arguments and complaints from people who ought to have known better. People wishing for Egypt less than three days after they crossed the Red Sea. But every day, every day, every day, he got up and he led, he raced, he walked, he was running, he was looking for a place. Moses never got comfortable in his surroundings. He never got relaxed. He purposely made sure that he did not fit in. That's why he named his son Gershom, saying in Exodus 2.22, I have been a stranger in a strange land. Every time he looked at his son and called him by name, it reminded him, I don't belong here. I've got to find my place. This is not where I belong. And yes, he had a purpose. It was a high and lofty purpose. But his purpose did not change his challenge. I hope you can hear me today.
I need to tell somebody about the race that you're running. Solomon said, I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift. And Jesus finished the statement when he said, he that endureth to the end shall be saved. Because the race is not a quick sprint. It's getting up after you have been knocked down. It's running when your brain tells you, why don't you sit down and get warmed up? And nobody knew it like Paul knew it. Nobody knew it better than Paul who gave his own personal report of conflict. And I read to you today. He said, are they servants of Christ I am out of my mind talking like this I am more I have worked much harder been in prison more frequent I've been flogged more severely I've been exposed to death over and over five times I was beaten 39 lashes three times I was beaten with rods one time I was stoned three times I was shipwrecked I spent a night and a day in the open sea I've been constantly on the move I've been in danger from rivers and bandits my own countrymen I've been in danger of Gentiles in the city in the country in the sea among false brethren people I thought that were my friends and my brothers I've labored toiled I've gone without sleep I've known hunger and thirst without food I've been cold I've been naked and beside everything else I face the daily pressure of my own concern for all the churches he said in Damascus the governor under King Aratus had the city of Damascus guard in order to arrest me but I, they lowered me down in a basket from a window and the wall and I slipped through his hands he said but I keep on boasting in God because God sent he sent something and I was boasting the Lord but then the Lord sent me a messenger of Satan it was a thorn in my flesh and I pleaded with God three times to take it away but he said to me my grace is sufficient for thee for my strength is made perfect in weakness I stand here to tell everybody you get up tomorrow and you run if anything happened bad to you you get up and run if your life seems miserable and things are going bad you still run I'm calling out all the runners. I'm calling out all the people who arise one more time. And you feel a little weary about serving God. you got to stand up and run one more time. Don't quit the Lord. Paul called it out. Don't you know that everyone who's running a race, they're run to receive a prize. He said, so run that you can obtain. Run because you're running to obtain something. It's an incorruptible crown. You're running to gain something that cannot be taken away. Paul offers it. And he says to the church of Galatia, he says, let us not be weary in well-doing. <laughs> oh, Wow. It's an indication that doing well can have the same give up emotion as doing poorly. I wish it were not so, but I've seen people get tired of well-doing and they quit running. Too much good, too much peace, so they just blew it all up. Things going too well, so they thought maybe they were missing out on something. They looked around and bought into the lie of the world, and they gave up doing well because they, they got weary of doing well. I'm talking to you today. So run. Don't get weary of well-doing. Do it over and over again, because one of these days you're going to get a prize. Listen. We're not just here at the house of God just to appease ourselves. We're going someplace. This is not our home. You are a stranger in a strange land. And you got to get up and run. This is not the place of utopia. There is no heaven on earth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some years ago, a man came to me. He, he was a little upset. He'd been reading his Bible. 
Not the whole Bible, just parts of it. He realized that Moses didn't get into the promised land. And after all the noble things I said about Moses, that man balked a little bit. He replied to me, well, well, he didn't get to cross over into the promised land, so maybe it wasn't worth it, Pastor. He said if Moses had been so profound, then he should have been able to share in the land of Canaan all the milk and honey and grapes and fruit. He was telling me about the infraction, the loss of Moses. <laughs> and he was making a good point almost. <laughs> almost. He didn't read the whole Bible. You got to read the whole Bible to find out. That's what David said. He said, my heart almost fainted. I've been doing good. I've been loving God. I've been giving my sacrifices. I've been worshiping in the temple. I come in singing when nobody wants to sing. I shout my, I, I will shout my robe off and be like everybody else. I love God. I, I almost fainted when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. I'm wondering why are all those people out in the world? They got it good. They've got money. They've got things. And I'm here struggling. I've been giving my tithes and my offerings and I'm still struggling. I barely got enough. I got barely got enough at the end of the month to make it and I, I've been serving God they didn't get sick but I got sick they didn't have trouble but I have trouble they're getting raises and promotions and I'm getting demoted and David said I, I saw the prosperity of the wicked and I almost fainted till I went into the house of the Lord and I saw their end ha <laughs> You can't measure anything out right now. Don't measure anything out because you're running to obtain a crown that will never go away. Don't measure anything out right now. Don't think that you have got things bad. You don't have it bad. You're running to get something that cannot be taken away. I stand here to tell all the runners in this house, you get up and you run. You run toward the Lord. I'm standing here to tell you, so run, so run. Get up and run again. Get up and do it again. Here's the Bible. Here's the Bible. You know, Jesus, he, he, he's teaching all day and everyone's hungry. And they bring a little boy's lunch and he starts to pass out the food, the endless supply of food. And then the next scene is Peter having this revelation that Jesus is, in fact, the Son of God, the Messiah. And right after that, then the Lord will predict his own death. Of course, none of them understood what he was talking about. And then after he predicts his own death, here's your Bible. The Lord takes just Peter, James, and John and says, let's go up into a high mountain. And they climb the mountain. And when they get up to the mountain, Jesus begins to glow like a light bulb. His clothes become translucent white. He's shimmering. He's shining, pulsating. The living Bible says in Mark 9, 3, his clothes became dazzling white, far more glorious than any earthly process could ever make it. You couldn't bleach anything that would make it this pure, translucent glow. And then the Bible says that there appeared Elijah and Moses suddenly standing there talking with Jesus. Now, the book of Matthew and Mark will only paint the picture of the moment. They don't say what Jesus talked about or what Elijah or Moses said. They simply 
talk about the transfiguration, the glowing body of Jesus Christ, his clothes, how he moved from glory to glory. Matthew and Mark wrote that Jesus, Elijah, and Moses talked together. But Luke gives us a little more insight. And Luke says in verse 31 of Luke 9, who appeared in glory and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. And the Greek word for that decease is actually exodus. Here's the NIV. He appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, his exodus, which he was about to fulfill in Jerusalem. (laughs) They're on a high mountain. Peter, James, and John, they're watching Jesus glow his raiment, his clothes, this beautiful, dazzling, shimmering light in this mount of transfiguration. And all we know is that the one subject they're talking about is Jesus crossing over. Peter has no idea what that is. John, James, they don't know. But there's one standing there who knows about crossing over. And the only one standing there who could relate to Jesus Christ was Moses. It was not a so veiled reference to the Red Sea. Jesus and Moses were talking about crossing over the exodus out of this place. So I say, Moses may not have seen the promised land with all of its wealth and wonder, but he did get to see the promised one in all of his glory. So when you think that your life is over and it's unfair to you, I got a word for you. You got to read all of the Bible because the Lord's not done and your race is not over. You're running to receive something that cannot go away. It may be closed. You may think it's over. I got to tell you, one of these days, you're going to ascend to a mountain. You didn't come this far because you had ability, because you had strength or money, but you came this far because because you had faith in Jesus Christ and something higher than you. And you ought to clap your hands because you know that you got her. I rise to say that the race is not to the swift. It's not to the cunning. It's not to the talented. It's a journey of pursuit that speaks of all kinds of prayers in the Bible. And the Bible is replete with men and women who were just like you. And they had issues and problems and struggles. Hear me. Hannah prayed a prayer with groanings. She was in a race. And Peter's chaotic life of success and failure and self-destruction. And then finally his own redemption that led to the day of Pentecost. He was it's a race that points to Abraham leaving what was comfortable and looking for a place that only God could show him. It's a battle and a series of battles that made up the bulk of Joshua's leadership and life. He spent 40 years walking behind doubters in the wilderness and the next 50 plus years fighting the battle to see the land by faith he was going to possess it. The race that is set before you. <laughs> I've raced. I've raced a lot of people that didn't know I was racing them. Every time I go into any time fitness, I race the two elderly ladies on the treadmill while they're talking. And if they punch the number three, I go to 3.5. If they do an incline of 0.7, I go to a whole point. Mind you, they're talking the whole time that I'm running. One guy came over. He was fit. 
He went to 7.5. I went to 8. Almost killed myself. But I had the satisfaction. And he quit before I did. I have won almost every race on the treadmill. Pre-core treadmill. And there's a point in the race, you know. You get a wall. You grab your side. You feel the pain of it. And your brain starts thinking. Nobody cares if I'm going to run. Nobody's going to, nobody care if I drop out. Nobody cares if I come or go. I'm feeling a pain of this thing. And they say if you'll run past the wall, you'll just keep on going. You'll find renewed strength. I feel like people coming to church right now, you've hit a wall. You're grabbing your side. And you're running the race in the Lord. But I will tell you, it's not always going to be easy. But I say, keep running, keep loving, keep worshiping, keep serving. I don't know how to get to you, but I've got to tell you, you got to run. You're going to obtain something. So run! And pardon me because I, I don't want to hurt anyone's feeling, but no one gets to pick their own course. I don't want to hurt your heart, but everyone has pain and failures and success, and no one gets to pick their own course. No one gets to pick their own offenses. Those are unique to your life. And to attempt to remove the obstacles that either people or God has put in your way is to resist the pruning process that's vital to your growth. It also is the way you reject the trial by fire that is to create a pure heart. The race is set not by me, not, not by you. No one can change its design. Our job is to just run. And I say through the Holy Spirit, so run. And not only should you run, but you run to win. You run to obtain something that money cannot buy. And time cannot change. And a thief cannot steal. You run with fervor and sincerity, so run. Hey, you can get mad at the course if you like, but that won't change the conditions. You can yell back at the mud, the grind, the sickness, the loss, the pain, the issues that attend to your daily life. But a bad spirit and an angry disposition won't level out the climb and it won't even out the fall. Stop saying things that are unfair because those who really think that things are unfair, they're saying that God has forgotten about you. If you're a child of the Most High God, then He has ordered your steps. Just run. you got to run. Here, Pastor, run to the house of God. Every time you can, you get in this house. Don't forsake your assembling. you got to hear the praise team. you got to hear the choir. you gotta have the, you got to have the worship. Run to the altar for prayer. Run to the throne, grace, the, the grace of throne, the throne of grace of God for help and make your petitions heard because you know that he is a good God that he's more than able to deliver you you run to the Lord stop running to Facebook stop running to Instagram stop running to your cell phones stop running to your next door neighbor you run to the Lord because he's the only one who can help you and you run by calling on God and you gotta just run to him you get down on your knees this week and you say, Lord, I don't know how to fix it and I don't know how to change it, but I'm coming to you. There's no way that the church 
could professionalize specific ministries or help departments or groups that speak to everyone's issue because they're so diverse. But I'll tell you, the Lord can heal everyone and he can feed every need and hunger with a single loaf of bread. I'm not saying that we don't need help. We don't need counsel. We don't need programs. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying we don't, we don't need people to specifically talk to us about addictions, our problems, our hurts, our pains, our past, our future, our finances. But I'm telling you right now, the word of God is complete. All your accumulative problems, all of the things that you suppose, the Lord can heal you. You run to the word of God. Run to holiness and righteousness. Because hmm, the harder you run toward the Lord, this is just deductive reasoning, the farther you'll be away from the world. Sometimes I wonder if we need things so complex so that they could be a mystery to us when really they are simplistic. You get in the church and love the Lord with all of your heart, mind, soul, body, and strength. And just by virtue of your direction will keep you away from things that will disturb and destroy your life. See, I'm not so concerned about where you're at in life. I'm concerned at what point or what direction you're facing. Because I know people who've been facing the right direction for a long time, but they turned around. They know a lot of things about God. They made a lot of commitments, but they're facing the wrong direction. They're facing the wrong place. But there's somebody who just started out. They don't know all the books in the Bible. They don't know who was in the ark, Noah, Moses, Abe Lincoln. They don't know. But they're facing the right direction. They're going towards God. They might have started yesterday, but they're facing. And I know people who've been serving God a long time, but they turned around. And at the wrong time, they turned around. I'm not concerned about how far you've come. I'm I'm determined. I'm concerned about where you're going. The race. It's not about ability, giftedness. It's about endurance. It's about doing it over and over and over again. And I asked my father how he stayed in one place pastoring for 35 plus years. And he said to me, because I stayed when the people wanted me to stay. I stayed when the people wanted me to go. I stayed when there was a lot of money in the bank. I stayed when we didn't have anybody, any money, and no one. I stayed when the songs were good, and I stayed when the songs were bad. I stayed when you and your brother were on the platform, and and Scotty was playing the organ. And I stayed when we didn't have all that. I just stayed. Hear me. If you'll just be consistent and stay in the church, God is going to provide for you. you got to make up in your mind, I'm running this race. I'm running this race. I'm going to get to heaven. I'm going to get to God. I'm going to get to the land of promise. Uh, whatever you have to do, you have to do. Do it. Whatever you have to do, do it. If you've got to give up stuff that you like, give it up for the sake of the Lord, for the sake of your salvation. Surely, surely we got to follow the biblical concept of holiness, but there are some things that the Bible's not going to address, but you need to address it because you know it's a stumbling block for your life. you got to give it up. Some of you can handle a boat, and some of you, you'll die in that boat. Spiritually, you'll die in that boat. Some of you can handle a canoe, and others, other you get a canoe, and you'll never come to church. Well, no. It was good right up until that. We'll start talking about my boat. 
You know. I know it sounds simplistic, but in real time, it's often difficult because you look around and you see people running on what you think is a smooth track with all the lines and borders snugly fit. And all you can do is run in the hilly lands and across country. But you're never going to know the battle of someone else. And it might be that God will never tell you what other people are going through. So just run. When the enemy stands against you and fights you, or if you stumble along the way, you get up and you run. If you say to me, Pastor, you don't know what I did Friday or Saturday, I say to you, you get to the house of God and you run again. If you fall down tomorrow, you get here on Wednesday and Thursday or whatever it is, you get to the prayer meeting on Tuesday and you keep running don't don't let condemnation or self-condemnation cripple your resolve run nobody can condemn you like you can condemn you that's why John wrote in 1 John 3 20 for if our hearts condemn us God is greater than our heart and he knows all things so even if you are self-condemned I serve a God that's greater than your own self-condemnation so run get up and so run and make another commitment to the Lord I say to you, run where there are no answers to complex questions. Just say, I don't understand all the things of God, but I know in whom I believe. And know that this life is a race, and we may very well be nearing the end of time as we know it. The earth itself today, dear saints, is shaking, and the mountains and low-lying valleys are signaling his coming. And the elements of the sky are speaking of a soon return of the one clothed in splendor and robed in white. And when he comes, we've got to be running. And I will tell you, I'm glad we're building a building right now in front. But I pray to the Lord that when he comes back, there's more steel unfinished when he returns. I hope I'm in full stride. I'd like us to keep building until the Lord came back. I hope we're digging up something else. I hope we're putting in a new parking lot in the future when the Lord comes back. I want to be in midstream when the Lord comes back. I don't want to be sitting back folding my arms. I want to be shouting and praising, serving the Lord. Uh, And I know the analogy is old as a scripture, but give special attention to the Bible when in Hebrews the word says, let us lay aside every weight and sin that besets us. And let us run the race with patience that set before us sin and weight. Nothing will stop you like sin. Not a spiritual man or woman can can run a race with sin. Because sin will not negotiate with your desire for God. In every form, sin is an uncompromising proposition. It kills your ability to move forward. It's a thief that steals your joy and your moral authority. (laughs) I think we know it, but just in case, let me just tell you. Sin, nothing like sin. It separates you from God. But the writer of Hebrews didn't stop with sin. He didn't allow this common subject to stand alone because the race is not just about loss in worldliness. It's also about being thwarted by the cares of this life. That's called weight. Anybody have any weight? It's a bad question. Mm -hmm. The scripture says, lay aside every weight, which looks to me like a different category than sin. But I wonder if the weight can ultimately keep you bound and out of heaven just like sin. I cannot tell. But I do know that one who runs with bags of sand or bricks on their back cannot win any race. 
No one can be effective when they heap upon themselves things that slow them down. Here now. Too much stuff jammed into too few days will destroy your walk with God. And you'll quote the Bible and say, well, the Lord said he wouldn't lay on me more than I can bear. He didn't. You did. Oh, no. (laughs) No prayer time. No Bible reading. No family devotions. None. No meditation, just sitting and thinking on the good things, right, pure, clean, whatever's holy. All of our time consumed with entertainment and cell phones and activities. Things that have nothing to do with the kingdom. Could it be that the kingdom in our time and place may very well hinge on the amount of weight that we carry that deviates from the cause? Huh. Running from event to event is not the same as running this spiritual race. See, I'm preaching about serving the Lord and staying on course. Not being bitter at the course, but keeping your eyes on Jesus. He's the author and the finisher. I'm preaching in an all-out effort to bind up the spirit of discouragement in someone here today. And a division that has destroyed both individuals and church bodies a thousand times over. Because they stopped running the race. I will tell you, I don't have the answers for all of your loss and issues. But I do know you've got to make a commitment to run the race because you're going to get something that you can't buy at the store. Amazon doesn't have a button for it. And UPS can't hold it in any of their trucks. You haven't even begun to think about how good it's going to be. Because we keep crying over loved ones who went on to be with the Lord. I'm going to tell you, they're not crying. I'm crying. They're not crying. Because when you finally cross over and you get your own exodus, I want to tell you right now, you're going to be going from glory to glory to glory. So I say, when your brain tells you, let's just quit and give up, you ought to say to yourself, I got to get up and I got to get out of this tent and I got to keep going. I got to keep going. I got to keep making a commitment. Hear me. If you've been running a race like Brother Heist for all those years, you get up and you get down the steps and say, I got to show an example. You're never over. You're not going to be over because God is on your side. And you've got something to do in the kingdom today. So run, so run, so run, so run. Come on, you ought to clap your hands because you know it's the truth. You ought to rise up because you know it's the truth. You cannot quit now. Don't listen to the enemy and don't listen to your own heart when it tells you to quit. Ah, Come stand with me now, please. It's periodic testimonies that offer us momentary encouragements. And we rejoice when we hear the testimonies of the people around us. Periodically, we, we hear 
of a family member that's been blessed or someone healed and then we find our strength. But it's momentary. It's a passing high. It's a good thing. Even in our own lives, we might be able to point back to a day when the Lord came through for us and did something profound. But given enough time, even the greatest things in our life seem to fade into oblivion. Yes. Mm -hmm. And it's when you hit the wall and you're shivering and your side hurts and the conditions are adversarial that you then have to decide who you are and why you're running. I got a lot of things to tell you. I can't tell you in this whole setting, but I got to tell you about the man whose wife had Lou Gehrig's disease and he attended to her needs and they never gave up their faith. But what he could do before, he could not do now. I want to tell you about people who got to a point where they couldn't do everything they used to be able to do, but they kept their faith in God and did not die in discouragement. I need to tell you about people who've had great loss in their life, terrible loss. Some of the loss wasn't even in death because there's one thing I think worse than death. And they can barely get over those memories and stain their mind for the rest of their life. But even still, they're still running this race, loving God. And from time to time, they have to pick themselves up from the anger and the hurt, the bitterness and the poison that was put in their body. Yeah. But they're running the race. I'm going to tell you, when you don't hear the testimonies and the momentary high is gone, I hope you remember this word today. You keep coming. You keep running. Stay faithful. If it's painful, stay faithful. You'll get past that. You'll run into it again, but stay faithful. Come on now. I think the Lord's talking to you. I think he designed this moment for your life. The Holy Spirit of promise is reaching out to grab you and say, come, 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 come. Because the Lord is on your side. He has set a beautiful course for you. It doesn't look too good. But if you could just see what you'll obtain. The course. Oh, in the name of Jesus, I pray for all the people today. I pray about discouragement and doubt and wandering and bewilderment. Lord, you've always led us to the right place. You're leading people right now to the right place. You've led them to this word by your divine will. We thank you for it, Lord. And now we're reaching out to you just to make our calling and election sure. And we're reaching out to you today because we know that you are God. We want to make a declaration today. We're not giving up this race. We're not going to quit in our faith. 
we're not going to turn back from our convictions. But more and more, as we see this day approaching, we're going to make a commitment to you, Lord. I want you to pray that prayer if you feel that, if that's your heart's desire. I'm wondering if this house, if anyone could be a little honest and not too embarrassed just to come to this altar and say, Pastor, I've been discouraged. I didn't lose my faith, but, I, but, but I've been discouraged. I'm struggling with my joy. I, I kind of feel like I hit a wall. Is there anybody here that would come to the front and just lift up your hands and say, Lord, I need some help today. And I'm, I'm coming to make a declaration. I wonder if there's anybody in here that has that feeling. And you want to come down and you want to say, Lord, I need your help right now today. I've got to run this race. I'm coming to run, Lord. I've, I've come in this place because I'm going to keep running and I'm keep seeking for you. I'm pressing for the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Come on, some of you might just need to come down and just say the words, bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me. I'm going to, I'm going to say it out of my mouth. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. I will not forget all of his benefits. He heals all my diseases. He forgives all my sin, all my iniquities. That's right. Come on. The Lord is in this place right now. The Lord never left you. He didn't forsake you. You've been a little weary. You've been struggling. But the Holy Spirit is in this house. He's ready to pick you up. Come on. It doesn't matter where you've been. If yesterday was terrible, I got a word. My word for you today is the word from God. So run. Come on. Run. Come on. Run. We ought to be just praying for one another here in this house. Come on, you ought to lay your hands on somebody close by if it's appropriate and pray in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name.